Hello everyone, this is Josh Squared, day 18. Uh, this is a little bit of a warning, uh, but nearby the end of this episode, there will be a point when I will give you a warning. The episode will get pretty dark, um, and a bit heavy after that. We thank you for listening, and if you choose to listen, please feel free. If you do feel that something heavy, uh, and a bit depressing is not up to your choice, then I do beg that you do not listen. However, this is all up to your own choice. Thank you for listening. Now enjoy the interview. Hello everyone, this is Josh Squared with our timely interviews. We are currently in LA in Little Tokyo, uh, and we have three guests. May you state your names, please? Cody, Chad, and Uriel. And the question is, what is your impression of L.A.? Like, what do you think about it? You know, it's a pretty rough and tumble area, but there's definitely some really cool spots to check out for sure. I've only been to Little Tokyo, but it seems pretty awesome. (laughs) Uh, I've been to L.A. quite a bit of times, and I can definitely agree that it it may be a little rough. I have met a couple rough spots, but there's a lot of things to do. And not everything's going to be the same. So I would say at least give it a shot if uh, you're visiting visiting around the area. I'd definitely uh, come and hang out. Plenty of spots to come hang out. All right. Thank you yeah, guys so much. Thank you so much. Welcome yeah. back to the Aggravating Driving Each Other Crazy podcast, Josh Squared. I'm Miller. And I'm Gregor. And this has certainly been a day living up to that very title. Let's get right into it. So we left the hotel late again because we're still bloody tired. Not quite as late as yesterday, though. And we headed right off for Little Tokyo in order to get some decent sushi because I had a craving. And already parking there was a giant issue. We went into this little alley type of place where you absolutely had to park, uh, where you had to back in, which is difficult because it felt like I was trying to get into a can of sardines that was already filled to the brim. Gregor even had to get out and guide me into the parking space, which was already ungodly obnoxious. Mm-hmm. So following that, we did eventually manage to park the car, and we went to... I forget the name of the place. Do you remember it? Well, before we even got to the food place, um, we actually had we tried going to two other places. Oh, that's right. And One place was like... One, Do you have a reservation? Yeah, one one wouldn't take people without reservations, and the other was completely closed. Yeah. So we did eventually get to this nice place, which apparently neither of us can remember the name. And one thing that I did enjoy about this is that we actually had some impromptu lunch guests. Shout out to Chad, Cody, and Uriel, two guys, no, three guys from three, three guys from various parts of Arizona. At least two of them are from Phoenix. Who The other guy said he's currently living in San Diego, I believe. San Diego. And they joined us for an impromptu lunch, so we all ate together, we all swapped stories, we talked about our travels, and it was a really, really fun time. Yeah, so backtracking a little bit, uh, because that was a very, very brief overview of what exactly... I, I wasn't really done, though. Oh. Uh, but if you want to backtrack, go ahead. Yeah, backtracking just a little bit. Um, with all those things... Um, Yes, we did go to these two restaurants, and yeah, they were extremely close. But when we got to our third one, which is the one we ended up actually staying at um, and having lunch with, um, apparently there was, like, a reservation or wait list, 
but apparently we were at the top of the list and like they were like oh you're two separate or like all you together and we're like yeah, I guess we can be together I don't see the problem with yeah. it um, and so that's how we just kind of <laughs> just like uh, Japanese restaurants back home like Kobe or Kabuto yeah so it's like sure let's party up <laughs> so we did that and we sat around the table eating and swapping stories for about an hour I think something like that something like that and then we headed off just to drive through Hollywood because, honestly, we didn't find it that impressive, really. We saw the Walk of Fame, or at least part of it. We saw the Chinese movie theater, and, yeah, not too exciting, really. Honestly, my vision of the Chinese movie theater is a lot different than what it actually turned out to be. What were you expecting? So, I was expecting, because, like, Hollywood is Hollywood, it must have, like, a lot of space, or be, like, um theater sets just around it and whatnot. No. <laughs> that wasn't the case at all. No. Um, I guess you could say I was a bit star-dazzled as a kid. Uh, for those of you who know this movie, congrats to you. If you don't, I'd say check it out uh, and watch a childhood favorite of mine, which I believe is uh, Cats Don't Dance. Do you know Oh, that? is that an animated one? Yes, it's if, an animated I do one. remember it. It was one of those films... That looked like it was animated by Disney, but was actually animated by a short-lived rival company started by a guy who used to work at Disney, whose name I cannot remember. Hmm. Wait, are you talking about the Aristocats? No. No, no, that was Disney. Yeah. Yeah, but the cats don't, don't dance. Basically, it's anthropomorphized animals doing whatnot, being part of movie scenes and whatnot. Um, and eventually they end up at the Chinese theater... Um, which um, had a lot of open space, but the Chinese theater in this aspect was actually surrounded by skyscrapers, mm -hmm. which made the dazzling appearance of it, um, of my childhood, kind of shattered into bits and pieces. I'm just like, well... <laughs> you know what they say about meeting your heroes. Yeah, meeting your heroes makes it less impressive. But I will say that it was pretty good. Um... Oh, I should also mention that the little interview that you heard at the beginning of this uh, was uh, our friends that we met at that uh, Japanese restaurant. Chad, Cody, and Uriel. Yeah. That was them. They stated their names and whatnot, and, well, they're from two, I believe, Chad and Uriel are from... They're from Phoenix. They're from Phoenix. And then Cody, yeah? Cody has been sort of all over the place. Yeah. He said he's been in Seattle, uh, then he kind of moved around a bit, and I guess he's currently at San Diego. Yeah. Chad and Ural said they went to San Diego to visit him. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, uh, following that, we actually went back to Seal Beach, of all places, because Josh uh, Crager still wanted to get a knickknack, and I need postage stamps because I have one postcard I have yet to mail, and I ran out of stamps putting them on the postcards that I mailed earlier today. And let's just say I was not successful. Yeah. Again. I should also mention that the actual reason that we did go to Seal Beach was not for specifically that knickknack, but was for these wish anklets. Oh, that's right. Which are highly popularized <clears throat> on the East Coast, and apparently over here on West Coast they have... Uh, Evil eye anklets. Which means by the time those break off... They're supposed to absorb... No they're supposed to absorb all the evil from you, and when they break off, that evil is gone. Supposedly. 
Um, but with the wish anklets, basically, it's like by the time the anklet falls off, your wish will have come true, or your wish will come true. Both of which are superstitions. Mm -hmm. um, and but, yet that doesn't stop people. Well, that's because they're a neat little thing to just get on your uh, ankle. I suppose. Um, but on the East Coast, I've heard stories where people got them tied on, like made and tied on on their ankles right there in the store. However, that does not seem to be the case over here on the West Coast. Um, so I guess it is what it is at times. Mm -hmm. So beyond that, we did eventually drive all the way back to Hollywood again because most of the souvenir shops for the city were there. So I pulled up to the curb and Craiger got out to look for a knickknack. And not two minutes later, he comes running back to the car with a knickknack in hand. And I'm like... Two, actually. Two? Mm-hmm. One says Hollywood. The other one says Los Angeles. The Los Angeles is a snow globe. And the Hollywood one is, well, just a little tiny plaque. <sighs> okay. When I find what I want, I'm very quick about it. Sure. Anyway. <laughs> so, following that, we went back to the hotel, we relaxed for a little bit, and then we originally planned on going down to the lobby and getting food at the cafe, but unfortunately, by the time we got there, the kitchen had already been closed. So, we got something at the Starbucks-like restaurant on the other side of the kitchen, and we all we both just got sandwiches. I think that was, like, actually a Starbucks. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. They call it cafe now to sound a little bit more impressive, but no, it's just a Starbucks. <laughs> Agreed. Um, so after we we ate our sandwiches down there, and then afterwards we went back up to the room and finally divvied up the clothes that we cleaned two nights ago <laughs> in order to determine what belongs to who, and then we just packed up the majority of our stuff in preparation for Yosemite tomorrow. Yeah, because tomorrow we're essentially just going to get up and go, mm -hmm. um, probably about 11, 11.30, mm. uh, because apparently with the Westin checkout, you don't have to be out by 11, you have to be out by 12. Which is very helpful. However, I do believe we should leave the room at 11. Okay. Just to do the checkout initially. Mm-hmm. Um, should we... <sighs> nah, I think they'll let us out anyways. This is me letting little madman inside of me think things through. And I guess I'll share with my process is that some hotels you have to check out, like, after you get your car out of the parking lot. But that's not how the Marriott Weston mm. company works. They just say, okay, just hand your stuff over and you'll be able to get out. And on the subject of leaving, uh, earlier tonight, but just before we recorded this podcast, I have a grievance. See, oh. <laughs> yes. See, Kreger has a, an extra zipper on his suitcase that allows him to expand the suitcase in order to make room for more stuff. And then you can close that and zip it back up in order to shrink it down to save space. I noticed that the zipper was shut, was, was wide open. And I thought, you know what? Why don't you just do that in order to save on space? And he kept kind of pushing back, like, why? Because, like, the entire trip, it's been open the whole time, and it hasn't bothered you until now. Because I didn't notice it until now. <laughs> so I, I zip it up with ease, and then he tells me 
you know I'm going to need to get back into that in the morning to put stuff in it, right? And I'm looking at him like I just want to slap him because the one thing, <laughs> the one thing he could have told me to stop me cold in my tracks is the one thing he didn't tell me. I thought that would have been obvious, but apparently not. No, it was not obvious at all. I thought you were finished. Not really. <laughs> As you have now sadly found out. Yeah, and now it's just aggravating, and this is what the introduction that I made comes into play here, because this has been just a perfect little microcosm of our misadventures along this trip, and it's not serious it's not really important. It's just maddening because every time we get into an argument, it's always been about a lack of proper communication between both parties. And this is a perfect example of that. Yeah. Um, for those of you who know me quite well, I'm quite sure you're, you're quite obvious on the fact of how I tend to give a general lack of information. And for those of you who have... Um, been by my side and, well, have accepted that, I'm greatly thankful that you're able to understand what's going through my mind and the bit of insanity that I do have. For those of you who don't know me, let me explain fully. (laughs) Um, Oh, get ready for a ride, folks. So, for those of you who don't know me, basically what goes through my mind um, is that I, I am ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, for those of you who don't know the acronym. But, um... What this entails is that my mind probably runs about a hundred times faster than other people's. So what's obvious to me is not always obvious to others because and, their mind is not where mine is. And many times his mouth can't keep up with his mind, so a lot of in- information goes past his mouth and just runs circles around in his brain. Also, it happens that times I will stumble over my own words uh, because... My brain is saying a different word, which is like three words in the future, while I'm trying to say three words in the past. And it takes a little bit of deal of concentration to keep where I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I do stand, tend, there's an example, if I do tend to stumble um, over my words, um, that's why. That's why I like... Oh, um, in the course of this podcast, like you'll hear, hear me come to, come to an abrupt stop, or I'll say something a little bit odd. It's not because I can't English. It's because I am speaking slower than my mind is going. Um, and I have to hold myself back and bring my mind back to where the sentence I am formulating Thus, in the information which I process, does not always get communicated properly. Hence my frustration, because if someone is telling me why they don't want me to do something, unless it's one of those situations where it simply makes them uncomfortable, which in which case I will stop immediately, this didn't seem to cause any level of emotional discomfort that I could detect, so I would need a logical reason for it. Hence why Tim telling me that he was going to open up his suitcase to put more stuff in it in the morning would have stopped me right then and there. And my brain being me, I was ten steps ahead already thinking of, like, two days into the future, thinking, like, there's not really a point because, like, 
even doing that, like, I'm still going to end up opening my suitcase to, like, change my clothes and on the days in the future. Um, and, like, just, like, zipping that up will only inconvenience me and him uh, in the very near future. Um, which is why <laughs> that's a thing. So, yeah. Perfect little microcosm of every argument we've had. So, I guess, kind of going back to the feeling of discomfort... Um, back to uh, this little bit dark topic which we discussed um, in episode or on day 16 yesterday. by the way this is day 18 oh that was two days ago oh okay yeah keep that in mind so day 16 that's the day we got here in the first place yeah the day we got here and we discussed a little bit of fears a uh, little bit of a warning uh, this will be a tad bit dark but it's mainly just a discussion about fears that we do have um, they're not super serious, um, but they are fears that we do have, and if you're not interested in that, well, then you can turn off the podcast right here, and to call it a good day, I don't think we're going to go into much of anything else, because we pretty much covered the entire day, and this will just be here on forth, just a discussion about fears, and then we'll sign off. Just one of the fun little things that we sometimes like to add into the episodes to make it seem a little bit less mundane. Yeah, so... Although, with now that I think of it, with every day being different, I don't think mundane could be used to describe this trip. No, it's definitely a, um, a lifetime uh, experiencing something that you can only do once in your lifetime, or maybe mm. twice, depending on how you live your life. I think that depends on who you go with as well. True enough. So, anyway. Starting with fears um, and discomfort things. Things that I would say discomfort me... Um, one of them is the ocean. He has thalassophobia. Ah, complicated word. But yes, I do have a fear of the ocean and fear of heights. Um, That's agoraphobia. Yeah. So... No, no, that's acrophobia. Acrophobia. Yeah, acrobatic, yeah. Um, so I will explain my fear of the ocean. Uh, for those of you who don't understand why I do have a slight fear of the ocean, it's not a crippling fear, thank the Lord, it's not. I can attest to that. Uh, because I will still get in the ocean, it's just that if I can't see my feet in the ocean or in the water I'm swimming in, I don't really like that. I like to be able to see the bottom. Um, but the main reason that I'm actually afraid, I don't know if I told you, I think I skipped telling you this story. No, you mentioned that when you were around 12-ish, I think it was, you almost drowned. Yes. Um, yeah, that was like the extreme abbreviated version. Mm-hmm. Um, so the actual story goes like basically I was boogie boarding um, down at uh, Ocean City, uh, Maryland, um, <laughs> specifically. Some people gotta specify it for. Uh, down at Ocean City, Maryland, I was boogie boarding. And while I was boogie boarding, um, at one point, I had a wave wall crash down on my head, um, which put me under the water uh, for a solid, uh, I'd say, 15 seconds just kind of getting swept around. And by the time I was about to resurface, I got hit by another wave wall um, crashing on my head again, which put a lot of pressure on my head and I wasn't even able to get a breath of air. So I was like underneath for about 40 seconds at this point in time. Uh, me not having to train long, I was about to, literally, I felt like I was about to die. Thankfully, the boogie boarding boogie board, which was attached to my wrist via a Velcro strap, 
I was able to figure out which way was up because at this point I was really disoriented. And by the time I actually just kind of more or less got washed up on shores about, in, at least to me, it seemed like an entire minute and my lungs were on fire. And like for the rest of that day, I just kind of sat out um, of the ocean because I was just like, I don't like that. So that's why I don't like the ocean too much. Which is understandable, I think. Yeah. So, like, when I see people go really far out into the ocean, I get nervous. Because I'm just like, last time I did that, I, well, <laughs> had that experience happen to me. Mm. Um, and the fear of heights, that's just, I think, a normal for everyone. Because no one wants to fall from said height. Uh, but mine is a little bit more extreme, so because I will stop dead in my tracks if I tend to look over an edge, or I get a little bit weak in the knees. Mm. I would say is I I don't feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. So that that's like my kind of thing. So what about you, Miller? You got fears? Uh, I've got a few. None. The, the thing is, though. Only one of them I could describe as tangible and situational. It actually does sort of revolve a little bit around your fear of the ocean. However, mine would be scuba diving in complete darkness. Oh, yes. Yeah. Because I know that there are uh, cave divers. Not spelunkers, but like people who actually go diving in caves. Yes. Um... Which essentially is in complete darkness, and all that they have is like a little tiny headlamp. Well, it's not always in complete darkness. Sometimes they'll do it during the day, and they won't go very deep into the water. They'll still go to the point where sunlight still pierces through, and they can use that light once they get down there to have a decent look around. Yeah. But diving in complete darkness, um, basically the only way you can figure out which way is up is follow the bubbles, but... Essentially. Half the time you don't see the bubbles... You know, it's funny you bring that up, actually, because uh, the Mythbusters tested this uh, several years ago, where if you're disoriented underwater, you won't be able to tell which way is up. So what they did was they put Adam, the redhead, on (laughs) essentially a hamster wheel in a pool, and they had him with these little handholds to grab onto, and Jamie got under the water and spun him around and stopped him at a random point to see how long it would take for him to dive to swim back up to the surface and he never seemed to get disoriented he always seemed to know which way is up no matter what position he was when the wheel stopped turning Mm -hmm. and for those of you that were concerned for his safety relax he was hooked up to a or at least he had a breathing apparatus in his mouth while the wheel was spinning Mm. yeah I think I might have seen that episode. I thought that was a pretty good one. I mean, I think the way to like figure out which way is up is which way do you float. <laughs> True. However, I sink. I don't really float. You have no body fat on you whatsoever. I have a little, but it's very little. True. My other fear, and this is going to get heavy. This is not going to be... <sighs> There's there's really only one way to describe it, and that's only by getting into it. So, probably my biggest fear is societal. For those of you that don't know, I am a massive history buff. I love looking at the events that have transpired thousands of years before I was born, 
as well as the people who orchestrated them and played a big part in them. And you read enough history, you see humanity at its best, you see it at its worst, and more importantly, I would say, you start to see certain themes on repeat. Some things just keep happening over and over and over and over again. Wars are a fantastic example of this, and the same reasons... Well, here's the thing. The players change, the nations, kingdoms, empires, etc. change, the tactics change, the weapons change, the motives don't. Religion, um, imperialism, territory, resources, the desire to conquer, they're all fighting for at least one of the same five or six reasons. And as you go forward in history and look at the present day, you start to see those very same things happening over and over again, but at a faster rate, because we are in the information age. Messages can be sent across the globe in a matter of seconds. Everything happens, but even faster now. And I would say my biggest fear is that we will never escape that cycle. That we will just continue to go down and down into that cycle until humanity eventually drives itself extinct. And I should preface this by saying that I have... I was di- I'm diagnosed with clinical depression, and at times it comes out as existential depression. And for those of you that don't know what that is, it's basically anxiety over our place in the grand scheme of things, the grand scheme of things in this case being the universe itself. Why? We don't know how long we're going to be here. I say that both as individuals and as a species. We don't know how long we personally have left to live, and we don't know how long humanity is going to continue. Is this really what we want to do? To fight in more pointless wars that won't matter in a couple of decades? To have people who don't care about anyone but themselves and a few select individuals run the nations? To cease to give care for one another? Is this really the best we can do? There was a idea that was prevalent for much of the previous 500 years called philosophical optimism. That idea was that everything that happens is right. That everything that led up to what is now is good. That the world we live in right now is the best possible one that could have ever been. I have to be honest, if this is the best that can be done, I am disgusted. This is not good work. This is not the best we can do. And my biggest fear, I would say, is that This is the best we can do. And I know that's not true. I have seen good from both large groups and from individuals. I've been on both ends giving and receiving of that good. 
I see no reason as to why that can't happen on a larger scale. I see no reason as to why we can't look after one another. Yeah. It's a complicated mess of human psyche and psychology when it comes down to it as to why these things happen, but I guess it's a point that we can't ever escape as a species. Can't or won't. Because won't implies a choice. We're choosing not to. Can't implies it's completely beyond our control. Well, for those of us who have the control, we won't. But some psyches won't or can't. Every human is different in brain power and what gets through their head. Perfect examples of that is what we started our little tiny argument today. That was a difference in psyches. Mind is running a lot faster and thinking of obvious things, but according to you, it's not quite as obvious. Um, it's that can't versus won't. I could think of it at the time, but you could not. So to me, it was a won't, but to you, it was a can't because it hadn't crossed your mind yet. I disagree wholeheartedly. That's not a difference between can't and won't. That's simply a failure of communication between two parties. Which is essentially what causes these wars. It is a failure of communication. They cut each other off with fumes heated to the maximum, thus exploding into a war, which has caused massive wars, uh, a.k.a. World War One was a good example of that. Some duke was murdered, or shall I say assassinated, which gave Austria the perfect reason to go and fight uh, an, an unnecessary war. Basically, everyone had their big guns and nationalism and said, let's test them out. And that's what it kind of erupted into, and then World War II was essentially a repeat of that, except Germany was just a little bit angry. Extra angry, I should say. Wait, in World War One? World War Two. Oh, okay. You know, it's kind of funny. If Archduke Franz Ferdinand had been in Sarajevo on any other day of the year, that might not have happened. And the reason for that is because Austria-Hungary was considered sort of the oppressor of Serbia, and Franz Ferdinand, as the crown prince to the empire was considered sort of the symbol of that oppression and for him to visit that per- this and for him to visit Serbia on that particular day was a mistake because that particular day happened to be the anniversary of the battle of Kosovo in which the Serbians managed to push back the Ottomans and was considered a national rallying point for the people of Serbia for him to visit on that day felt like those felt like a spit in the face of those who could not stand him. Now, it's not entirely clear if he even knew what he was doing. It's possible he knew about the date and wanted to show up anyway in order to express how he actually cared about Serbian traditions. Or it's possible he had no idea the day had any significance whatsoever. But whatever the case, he was ill-informed. A thousand things had to go wrong for that to happen, and unfortunately, a thousand did. 
Yeah. So, on that note, I know this is leaving uh, Jaw Squared off a bit heavy, but as we did say um, before I give you that little warning, um, this was going to get a little bit heavy. So, I thank you all for listening in. This has been day 18 of the trip across the United States. We thank you for listening in, and uh, if you made this far, hey, uh, glad that you can know a little bit more about our psyches and what kind of goes through our heads. Um, Sorry to potentially leave you all with a bit of an existential crisis here. We kind of just got off on our own tangents, and this is what happens when you get us on the stuff. Yeah, but anyways, thank you for listening in. This has been Josh Squared, and we'll see you tomorrow. Take care, everyone.